as we get back into uh, this series in Luke and we step back into Luke chapter 12 this week, uh, we're going to see some, uh, some big truths that will get focused in the first part, portion that we're looking at. Uh, but as we begin this, let's start by reading God's Word. Uh, if you could stand out of reverence for God's Word, we can read this together. I'll be reading the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 12. Luke writes, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word, for inspiring Luke to write the words that he wrote in the way that he wrote them, in the context that he placed them. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to show us the way and to be the way. Father, I pray this morning that as we open your word that we would not just get some kind of inspiration or, or self-help, but that we would be transformed by your presence in the teaching and learning of your word, that your truth would come through to us, that you would speak beyond any vessel that you choose. Lord, in this moment, Light a fire in us that you might receive all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You'll notice that our Lord gives us the encouragement that even sparrows, who uh, in this example that he gives are sold cheaply, whether used for sacrifice or even for food, these Common birds are sold two for a penny, it says here. It's probably more like, you know, for two nickels, as you're, or five for two nickels, uh, the equivalent of those coins. But that's not really the point. His point is that these birds are common and cheap, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from our Father's knowledge. If his eye is on the sparrow, you can know that he's watching you because you're worth so much more than all kinds of sparrows. 
He knows every moment of your life, every hair on your head, every cell in your body, every thought in your soul. And this God chooses to watch out for his own. He chooses to watch over us. So today, as we enter into this text, as we see what Jesus is saying to us, it is my hope and my prayer that you would be able to estimate the true worth not only of yourself in the eyes of God, but much more so the worth of the things of eternity as opposed to the things that we see around us all the time. Our core reality for today that I hope will become clear for you as, as we go through this is that hypocrisy is revealed when earth's fears obscure heaven's reality. Hypocrisy is revealed when earth's fears obscure heaven's reality. Now that might sound a little weird at first, but as we go through the text, hopefully it will become very clear to you exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Just so we have it in our heads as we're going in, so this can be the, the, the lens through which we look at it. Let's say it together. Hypocrisy is revealed when earth's fears obscure heaven's reality. So conversely, if that's true, if hypocrisy is, is revealed in us, we see this, we see what our true values are as opposed to what our stated values are, in other words, we claim to believe things, we claim to trust God, but when earth's fears, the things that crowd in on us now, obscure heaven's reality so that we see what is here in front of us more than we see what we claim to believe is true, then it reveals in us what we really believe in. And it shows hypocrisy. Conversely, hypocrisy is curtailed or diminished or undermined when we reckon reality rightly, when we know the true value of things, when we treasure most what is worth most. As we look at this, uh, this passage, verses 1 through 12, it's couched in a chapter that gives us a big picture idea and we'll see this, this will actually be our core reality for next week, but this week we want to kind of focus in specifically on this hypocrisy issue. The whole of chapter 12 comes together in the idea that earthly concerns negate heavenly priorities. So as we see what's going on in chapter 12, Jesus is saying, it's flowing out of what he said in chapter 11, we'll talk about that in a sec, but what he's saying here is all of the stuff that we see, all of the stuff that we focus on in this earthly life is all passing. So we need to get our heads higher. We need to set our gaze on heaven. You've heard the term before, the phrase before, that some folks are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Jesus is saying sometimes we get so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. And we need to get our focus right. We need to get our priorities set right. Everybody knows that the little ring you get out of the gumball machine is not worth the same as the ring I gave my wife when we got married. Not the same value. And yet, we don't reckon the value rightly of everyday life. We think what seems real actually is real. And Jesus is saying there's a reality that's so much bigger, 
that's so much longer lasting that the rest of this just seems like foolishness and futility. We need to get our minds upward. As he goes through this, notice the setting here. <clears throat> he's come out of chapter 11 when he's taught on prayer and the relationship of prayer, that it's more about relationship than it is about ritual. And then he talks about spiritual warfare. He has cast out a demon, and uh, this will be important as we go forward. The leaders and the Pharisees accuse Jesus operating under the Holy Spirit of actually operating according to Satan's agenda. So he sees the work of the Spirit, the, these leaders see the work of the Spirit, and they attribute this to the devil. They end up trying to block God's will, trying to block what Jesus is doing, because they're resisting openly, blatantly rejecting the Spirit's move in Christ and also in them. Remember that the reason Jesus does all these miracles is to attest to the authority that he has as the Son of Man and to attest to the authority of his message, the Word of God. His message has always been, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. God has drawn near, which means judgment is near, and God has come near in Messiah, in Christ, Jesus himself, to offer salvation, forgiveness, and redemption. But when we work at cross-purposes to the Holy Spirit, we undermine that and we block what He's calling us to. So as Jesus uh, heals this demoniac or, or, or kicks out this devil from this guy, they accuse Him of doing it by the power of Satan. Jesus says, wait a minute, you might need to check your realities here. Because if Satan's casting out Satan, then it's not a very strong kingdom. And yet we know he's powerful and ruling the world and he wouldn't be having the success he's having if he were cutting his own feet out from under himself. That's just foolishness. And as Jesus describes spiritual warfare, what he says very distinctly is that it doesn't do any good to try to get demons out if you don't have Jesus in. You've got to have the relationship. That's what matters. Very much like what he said about prayer. It's not about the ritual so much as it's about the relationship. Then he goes on to describe that generation, and I think it sounds an awful lot like ours, as a wicked generation looking for more and more signs. Jesus is giving them. They've already had all the signs that they need, but what they want is not God. They don't want truth. They don't want reality. They want tricks. They want signs. Show us your power. Show us what you can do. Yeah, that was good. Show us something else. That was neat. But what have you done for me lately? I'm glad that you cast out those demons. I'm glad you made that lame man walk and that blind man able to see. But you know, that, what can you do now? Oh, great, you raised that woman from the dead. That's super. Show us another sign. Then we'll believe you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Repentance is an inside job. What matters here is not all of these signs, but your inner repentance that works itself out. We have to make the decision to let Jesus work through us as the Holy Spirit calls us and moves in us. And then he condemns the, the hypocrisy of these uh, Jewish leaders, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and uh, some translations call the, the scribes or the lawyers, the teachers of the law. 
And as he gets through all of that, now he's in another place. He's continued on. Okay, so they have this whole, this whole uh, you know, dialogue at a Pharisee's house. As he leaves, they're looking, they're done now. Now, they've already decided they were done. But they're still trying to trap him. Now, it's getting less and less subtle, more and more overt. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, Luke writes, When Jesus went outside, verse 53, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. That Now it's becoming more open, they're becoming more intense. And to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Then we get to this. Meanwhile, as they're doing all this, as they're looking to trap him, the crowds are coming. The, the fans, if you will, are, are crushing in. Everybody wants to come see Jesus. He's already called them a wicked generation. He's already said, you're just looking for tricks. You're just looking for signs. But they still want more. They keep coming. Many will be coming for, for sincere reasons. Others are coming just for the, the tricks of the moment. Meanwhile, it says, when a crowd of many thousands, let that sink in for a moment. Now, maybe it's an exaggeration. Maybe, maybe it's just not that many people. Many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. Now, picture, uh, you know, this was back in the, the 70s at a Rolling Stones concert, and it's a general admission seating, what we used to call suicide seating. And all of a sudden, there, there's this crush at the edge of the stage where people get trampled even to death. That's the picture that we have here. So many people, it's like, have you ever been to Potawatomi Zoo and you see the fish in the little creek they've got there and they're jumping all over each other? It's body on body. It's kind of gross looking. That's the kind of crowd that's here. Jesus is addressing these people and with all of these people around, he kind of turns aside and he begins to speak to his disciples. If, as we look at the other Gospels, it appears that he's talking primarily to the twelve here. Uh, but it's for sure those who are committed in their following of him. And he begins to speak first to them, saying, as we see in, in, uh, at the end of verse 1, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, when we see this, Jesus is giving us a, a, a launch point, a springboard. So as, as he says, be on your guard, watch, protect yourself, be alert, be smart against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jump to verse 12, verse uh, 11. We'll pick up at verse 11. So we go from that to when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So he's, he's going from, watch out for this hypocrisy, this yeast, this infection of hypocrisy, and when you get to this place where you're in front of people, in high-pressure situations where you need to speak, don't sweat it. Let the Holy Spirit take care of it. In between these two things, in between the beginning and the end of this little, little talk, he's going to give some instruction that helps put flesh on it. So as Jesus says, watch against, guard against the, the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, he's not saying guard against the Pharisees. Be, be careful, they're looking out for you. They're hypocrites. Watch 
that you don't catch the same infection that they have. This hypocrisy that they have is like a yeast. Now, the Bible uses that picture of yeast pretty often, and it's almost always associated with evil or sin. Not always. Jesus uses it as a picture of the kingdom of God when he talks about it spreading. But almost always, these people, when they hear this, they're going to think about sin and evil. When it's time for Passover, they remove all the yeast. Not only from the bread that they're eating, they remove it from the house. They go through and they clean the entire house, top to bottom. Remove anything that has yeast, because that yeast represents to the Jewish person sin. We have to get rid of that sin. Now, notice also what yeast does in a batch of bread dough. It works all the way through that whole batch of dough. You get a little bit of hypocrisy in you, and it begins to work through your whole life. He's saying, don't let what happened to them, the Pharisees, don't let that be a part of your life. Don't let this little bit of yeast work all through you. You've got to get rid of it. Eliminate this. Be on guard because it will infect you. It'll go all through you. And just like it does with, with bread, yeast makes it rise and puff up. Hypocrisy in our hearts does the same thing to us. It puffs us up. It gets us full of our own values, our own self, rather than what we should know to be real. That hypocrisy inside of us changes our priorities, changes our values. We're going to see that concept all through the rest of this chapter. But in the first 12 verses, he's focusing in specifically on what this hypocrisy looks like. And what we see is that hypocrisy is revealed when earth's fears obscure heaven's reality. So in verse 2 he says, There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. The, I got a chance last night to, to take a little look at the Greek. I don't always spend time in the Greek unless there's some specific words because I'm not... Uh, really well versed in Greek, so I have to use some tools. It takes me some time. So as I was looking at, at some things last night, I spent a little time looking at those words, and the, it's, it's interesting to just see the parallel that, that uh, Jesus uses in these Greek terms when he talks about disclosed or revealed, syncalypto or apocalypto, those things that will be that are covered up now will be uncovered going forward. When you hear the word apocalypse, it means revealed, a revelation. So it doesn't mean big war. That, that's one of the things that gets revealed about how the end will come. But apocalypse doesn't mean that. And it isn't just a, a, you know, a supervillain in the comics. Apocalypse means the revelation of a thing. So Jesus is saying that everything that is currently concealed or has been concealed or has been hidden will be made known. It will be brought out into the open. He goes on to clarify it in verse 3. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, I had to shift my thinking. I had to set my framework aside in my understanding of of this text from my preconceived notions to be able to see what the actual text is saying. Jesus isn't talking about 
you know, the hypocrisy that hides my sins and all my sins will be known. I, I had grown up hearing that a lot of the time. So when I read this, that's what I was thinking of. Maybe you were too. All of these things that I tried to keep hidden are going to be exposed. Well, that may be true, but not from this text, not from this passage. What Jesus is saying here is that all of the things, the mystery of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ, that he's been speaking to them in parables and will continue, all of the things that they're saying uh, in, in crowded rooms when they're gathered together, and we'll see this uh, at the time of his crucifixion, they're trying to be very secretive about it for good reason. And even now Jesus is telling people when he does these miracles, don't go telling people this is not the time for that. Now is the time for things to be hidden but they will be revealed all of the things of god's agenda this kingdom agenda will be out in the open in other words you don't have to sweat what's going on with other people because eventually everybody will know the truth in philippians 2 it says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father that will happen. You can be on board with it or not, but it will happen. The truth will out. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not about you. So let your, your hypocrisy set aside for a moment. He's talking about God's kingdom agenda here. In fact, you can mark this down. Hypocrisy takes over when we disregard God's kingdom agenda. Hypocrisy takes over when we disregard God's kingdom agenda. In other words, God's program is worth more than my plans. God's program is worth more than my plans. He's telling them, look, watch out for this hypocrisy that says I can just believe and that's okay. That's all I have to do. I just can believe in myself and it's just between me and God. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. And I don't have to, to put myself out there. That's not God's plan. What will be exposed about you is whether or not you belong to Him. So don't sit back and be quiet and be timid. Because eventually anyone who opposes you will see the truth anyway. The question is going to be which side are you standing on? God's agenda will move forward. Jesus is here presenting the message that the kingdom of God is near, even at hand. We'll see later on in the chapter that that brings a crisis point, a point of decision for every person. You cannot be in Christ without conflict, without a crisis of conscience, and often without a crisis in personal relationships. But here he's saying, listen, you've got to get your mind right. Don't get sucked into this hypocrisy. Don't let that yeast work through you. Don't get caught up in, in what we often refer to as the fear of man. You need to get your understanding on this. Everything is designed, intended, made to be revealed. God's kingdom agenda is moving forward. And if you're on board with your own agenda more than God's, then you're standing on the wrong side. This is about getting on board with His agenda. Hypocrisy takes over when we disregard God's kingdom agenda. God's program is worth more than my plans. 
as we move forward in this, we will, I'm going to read for you from 1 Chronicles in just a moment. And we're going to see two things. We're going to see that God's agenda has always been for His praises to be declared among the nations. And they will be. But He also stands by His people. He stands by His people. And His people, whether Israel or the church today, do not need to worry about the wrath of the world. They need to worry about the wrath of God in the world. Notice this. Hypocrisy takes over when we fear others more than we fear God. Hypocrisy takes over when we fear others more than we fear God. Eternal life is worth more than temporary safety. Eternal life is worth more than temporary safety. After he says, be, be on your guard against the east of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Then he goes on to specifically nail down this fear of man idea. Verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Now listen, they have they're already have a legitimate reason for fear. This is a dangerous culture. You, when, when you um, irritate a police officer today, you say something that sets them wrong, or you have the wrong color of skin, or you're in the wrong neighborhood, bad things can happen. Most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, the worst thing that can happen is you end up getting a ticket, maybe going to jail. You have to deal with some things. Sometimes, you may actually end up in a conflict where someone is hurt or killed. Back then, there wasn't a whole lot of answering for it. When the soldier gets his hand on his sword, you're done. Your situation is over. And it wasn't just Roman soldiers. Herod's soldiers could do the same thing. It was a dangerous world. There was violence and crime throughout the ancient world. And the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, brought safety and peace from criminals. You had protection now because of the strength of the Roman government. However, the other side of that is the Roman government could end you. It was a very dangerous place. The Pharisees had ways of putting people out of the synagogue. If you get on the wrong side of the religious leaders, then you get excommunicated. You get removed. If you violate any number of sins, according to the Old Testament law, they could put you to death. And we see that happen fairly often in a number of, of passages. That's not an uncommon thing. And Jesus is saying, listen, you don't need to fear that. You don't need to fear stoning. You don't even need to fear crucifixion. What you need to fear is what's going to happen to your soul afterwards. If someone unjustly harms you, that's going to be bad for a little while. Well, what if it's bad for my whole life? That is a little while. Jesus says, you know, listen, refocus your thoughts. Because your eternal life is worth far more than any kind of temporary safety that you might try, be trying to work out here. So I don't want to say anything about Jesus because I might lose my job. 
I don't want to say anything about Jesus because it might offend my teacher and they'll end up giving me a bad grade later on. I don't want to say anything about Jesus because it, it's going to get me in trouble. And he's saying, no, if, if that's where you are, your hypocrisy is evident. Hypocrisy takes over in us when we fear others more than we fear God. Now he's building through this, and we're going to see as he moves forward that there's sort of a, a crescendo. Before we get to that, let's back up to the Old Testament, to 1 Chronicles. <clears throat> We're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 18. Nope, that's not correct. Why did I write down the wrong thing? Let's try this again. How about 16? There we go. I hope I got it right in your program if I didn't change it. Okay, 1 Chronicles 16. I'll give you a minute to turn the page because it's so far from 18. All right. So the, the Israelites have brought uh, the Ark of God. They've, it's returned. They've got it here. <coughs> and David gives instructions now, starting in verse 7. Notice the things that he says. Now this, this is specifically his instruction to the priests for how the people are to worship and how they are to celebrate God. And as they celebrate God, there are things that we see here about the characteristics of God, the way He relates to His people, and what is expected in worship back to Him that really fits for us as we look at Luke chapter 12. We're going to see a public declaration of praise because of an understanding of the reality of who God is. We're going to see the possibility of fear overcome by the protection of the, of the God who rules over angel armies. The God who is bigger than all of that. So notice, starting with verse 7. That day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. And we'll see this repeated in the Psalms because it's taken from here. <coughs> he says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell of all His wonderful acts, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength, seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He has pronounced. Let, let, that, let that settle into your mind here. I'm going to read that again. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He has pronounced. You, His servants, the descendants of, of Israel, His chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He's saying, if you belong to God, if you're part of God's people, then you need to focus you need to set your mind on what God has done, His miraculous wonders, and also His judgments, His nature and His character. Verse 14, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever, the promise He made for a thousand generations. 
The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Let's stop for just a moment. As Israel wandered through these other nations, in their weakness, in their smallness as a nation, God protected them. Wait a minute, you might be thinking. There are stories in the Old Testament of them not being protected, of them going into battle and losing. In fact, we know that the kingdom was divided and exiled later on. Well, how can David be saying this? David says this because God kept his promises, which also included his warnings slash threats. When God said, you follow me and I will be your God, you will be my people and I will be your God, but you have to keep these decrees, you have to keep these commands, you have to follow me completely. Do not chase after other gods. Do not try to be like the world. Do not try to settle things with your own understanding the way you think it works. You do what I say because I made all this. And if you don't, God's promise to Israel included this, if you don't, then all of the curses that apply to those outside of the family will fall on you. When they went into battle, God said, you just be still, I'll do the work. Now they still had to pick up their swords and go into battle. But God won the battle. God fought for them. When they lost, the only times they ever lost was when they got sideways of God. When they decided to do things in their own strength, it always went badly. When they decided to surrender to Him and say, Lord, this is your world. And these are your enemies. Therefore, my hope is you. I'm going to place my entire hope in you. Do not let my enemies triumph over me. From Psalm 25. We sang that earlier. And they always, always were protected. Because God cared far more about Israel than he did about sparrows. But he knows everything that happens to those sparrows. And he cares far more about you, created in his image, even if you are unsaved, even if you are outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the family. He still cares more about you than the sparrows. So every step you take, he is aware of. And every hard thing that comes into your life is designed to bring you to him, to drive you to your knees at the cross. And once you turn to Christ and receive Him, according to John 1.12, that gives you the right to become the child of God. What an amazing thing. Christ does all the work to pay for all your sin so that you can get all the benefits of being the Son of God. All of Christ's benefits given to you simply by receiving Him and trusting in the grace that God gives you. When that happens, how much more then? Is God watching out for you? 
And then every hardship, every difficulty in your life is made to build you, to bring you closer to Him, to conform you to the likeness of the Son who suffered on our behalf and for the Father's glory. What a powerful reality. So when David says, recount these things, remember what God has done, he remembers his covenant forever, the promise that he made. He took Israel through all of these phases and did not let the oppressor oppress them, except when he was using the oppressor to steer his children back, to discipline them. Then when he says that to us, we can trust it. Let's pick up again in 19. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Therefore he can write in, in verse 23, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for His good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Let us say that now. Amen, Amen. and praise the Lord. Notice, as David is commanding this for worship in Israel, there's a cry out to the nations as well. All nations fear the Lord. All nations fear. Praise the Lord. Recognize among those pagan Gentile nations that God reigns. This is meant to be disclosed, to be proclaimed, to be proclaimed boldly. And you know what happened when Israel proclaimed that boldly? The nations around them tried to destroy them. And God did not say um, let's, let's put it under a bushel. Let's, let's kind of hide this for a minute. I know I asked you to be the light to the Gentiles. Let's just cover up that lamp for a little bit. Just the opposite. What he said was, declare this. Declare it boldly. 
And as long as you declare it boldly and you live out my decrees, then you will see the Lord your God fight your battles for you. That's why he would say to Israel, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Because I'm in charge. And when I say, touch not my anointed one, ain't nobody showing up to touch him. (laughs) Hypocrisy takes over when those things that God has declared to be so have less value in our lives than the things that we think are so. When we think there is a reason to be afraid and God says, don't be afraid, I got this. And we think, "Mm, I don't know, maybe. I I mean, I believe you, kind of, but I still got to do something to keep myself out of harm's way. Therefore, I'm just going to have my personal faith. And my personal faith becomes my private faith. Nobody else needs to know about it. That hypocrisy takes over when we do as they do here. In this crescendo, it kind of hits its climax, if you will. (coughs) Excuse me, It's, it's... It's climax, it's apex um, in verses 8 through 10. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Mark this. Hypocrisy takes over when we resist the Spirit and hide the Savior. Hypocrisy takes over when we resist the Spirit and hide the Savior. Salvation is worth more than reputation. Salvation is worth more than reputation. If you're more concerned about what people think of you than what the Holy Spirit of God is telling you inside, moving you, prompting you, convicting you, and you're going to set aside the work of God's Spirit to get the approval of humans? Christian, you're a hypocrite. And as I say that, I'm looking in a mirror. Because I've been in that same place so many times. I feel a a nudging inside that I need to speak to this person about Jesus. But I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know how they're going to react. That fear of man can end up pushing us to a place where we stop fearing God. Don't worry about people that can cause you difficulty or harm in this life because that's going to go away. Get on the right side of the one who controls your eternity because he also controls this life. And if I'm unwilling to acknowledge Christ, in another passage he says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. If you won't confess, this word that we see as acknowledge, publicly acknowledge here is the Greek word that's also translated confess. Hamalageo. As we look through, look at that, I'm just pretending like I know some Greek right there. That's, 
I read it in a book. But the, the reality of this is that the, that's the same word that's translated confess in other places or other translations. So when it says confess, what it means is to say the same, to say what is in and bring it out, to agree, some would say, with God, but really to agree with reality. That's what we mean when we say agree with God. So if I'm not going to confess Christ publicly, if I want to keep my faith private, then Jesus is also willing to keep that relationship private when you stand before God. And he says, how do you know my son? And Jesus says, I don't know who this person is. I've never seen him before. If that's how we treat him, that's how he treats us. Now there's a lot of different takes on this uh, somewhat confusing phrase about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, as we're looking at the scriptures, like with anything else, the, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. So we want to use what's very clear to clarify what's unclear. So if we're not quite sure what a passage means, what a particular thing means, we look at the context, we look at the structure, we look at what is being said and why it's being said, so that we can understand the author's intent. What is the author intending to get across in this? So Luke places this, Luke's not trying to do a chronological um, compilation of facts. What he's trying to do is establish a foundation for our faith. I'm writing this so that you can know with certainty the things that you've been taught. He's trying to establish a foundation for our faith, and he's putting these things together. So his placement of it is a, is a little different chronologically than what we see in Matthew and Mark. In Matthew and Mark, the, the concept is still there. But as we put this together, what we see is he's talking about this hypocrisy. He's talking about letting the priorities of this world dominate the priorities of what is greater, what is eternal. Letting flesh dominate the spirit. And so while some theologians, and I don't know that, that I could say that they're wrong, some theologians like uh, Warren Wearsby, Pastor Wearsby in his commentary, uh, sees this as something that only applies to that setting in the first century, and he's speaking specifically of uh, these Pharisees saying that the miracles are from the devil and not from God. I, I, I don't know that it's wrong, I think it's part of a bigger picture. I don't know that, it, that I could say that it applies only to the first century, but what seems to be very clear is he's talking about resisting the Spirit's work. When the Spirit is doing something, all of the work of the Spirit here is to bring glory to the Father and to bring people unto Himself. And as He does this work, when we are stubbornly resistant to that, then we cannot be forgiven. Because we need the, what in the old days we used to call the unction of the Holy Spirit. We don't use that word a lot. You might want to write it down just because it's fun to say. The unction, the movement, the power of the Holy Spirit in us is what allows us to repent. But if the Holy Spirit is calling you to repent and you're stubbornly resisting, there is no forgiveness without repentance. So if you're unwilling to turn from your way to God's way and to receive the grace offered you in Christ... Because you're too busy distorting the image of the Holy Spirit, attributing it to the devil or to something else, as they did here. 
then you're putting yourself in an unforgivable situation. Why is it unforgivable? Because you're not doing what it takes to be forgiven. That seems to be a very uh, fitting uh, understanding of what he says here. And if we look at, at Mark chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 12, it fits there as well. And he's saying it in a, in a similar thing and specifically even says uh, in the other Gospels, this is because Jesus knew their hearts. Because they were saying that, the, that he cast out demons by Beelzebul, this is why Jesus said this. Fits perfectly. If you're going to resist what God's doing, then you're not going to get the benefits of what God's doing. You can be confused. You can resist the Son of Man. You can speak against the Son of Man because you're confused about that, what that means. You see Jesus in His human person as they are in this generation. They see Him and, ah, I don't really get that. No, He doesn't look like the Messiah. Nope, forget about it. But when the Spirit is moving in you, when the Spirit is doing something externally and or internally, and you attribute that to something else, and you resist the devil, or you resist the spirit, and give in to the devil. You're putting yourself yourself at odds with God. When we resist the spirit, then we will hide the Savior. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Holy Spirit is the one who discloses, who reveals the mystery. He reveals the mystery of Christ to the world. And he does it through believers, through the word of God, coming through the person of God into the world to shed the light of God on this sinful society. But if you keep your mouth shut, then you're resisting the devil. I mean, resisting the spirit and you're acting like the devil. If you do that and you hide the Savior, can't really talk about him. According to what he's saying here, I'm going to just read it for you so that you don't accuse me of making it up. I tell you, verse 8, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever doesn't, whoever disowns, that word can also be translated denies, whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Your Salvation is worth an awful lot more than your reputation. Hypocrisy takes over when we resist the Spirit and hide the Savior. Lastly, as we get past this climax, this apex, where Jesus says, look, you're either in or you're not. And if you're not going to be public with your faith, then you don't have it. You, there is no private Christianity. Personal, yes, in that you have to make a decision. But it's public in that we are part of a body. We are members of the church. The, the universal church. And that's why we have membership in the local church as the local manifestation of the larger body of Christ. That membership matters. The reason for that is it's part of our public testimony. The reason that we are baptized to identify with Christ's body, the church, to identify with His work on the cross and His resurrection on our behalf is because we must go public with our faith. If we do not go public with our faith, 
do we even have it? If I say that I'm in love with my wife, but I don't want anybody to know I'm ashamed of my wife, so I don't want to tell anybody, am I really in love with my wife? Not rhetorical. Is it, am I? No. Of course I'm not. Everybody knows that. Can I say I'm in love with Jesus if I'm ashamed to talk about him? What that reveals is that my perception of this unreality around me is greater than the reality of who Jesus is. My faith is in my senses and this temporary world. My faith is not in God by the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ. That's why this hypocrisy comes out. As we get past this climax... The resolution of this little vignette is the, the exhortation that Jesus gives us, gives them specifically, that we can then transfer and extend to the church today. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. All of this has been focused on what the Holy Spirit is doing in you coming out. Everything that's in comes out. When we're talking about spiritual warfare in chapter 11, it's the same thing. If Jesus is in, Jesus comes out. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, there's no room for a demon. There is no evil spirit that can possess a believer because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But, if it's just words, and you're not actually engaging, you're not a part of this. Now, Jesus says, because you are, because that's not you, stay away from that. Be on your guard against that hypocrisy, that yeast that works its way through you. That's not who you are. But understand this. You will be put on the stand, so to speak. The witness stand for them. You and I deal with these types of things every day in our lives. You will be called to be a witness for Christ. Sometimes that's to give a full explanation of the gospel. And sometimes it's just to stand up and say, no, that is wrong. And I trust God. And God's word says this. That's increasingly difficult in a world that is telling you that what God's word says is irrelevant. That what God's word says can't be trusted. That what God commands doesn't really matter because the culture has changed. Life is different now. Therefore, just because God said it was evil then doesn't mean it's actually evil. And, you know, the, the words of the Bible aren't the important thing. It's how you take it. What does it say to you? <laughs> Garbage. Throw it out. Because if that's the case, we don't need the Bible at all. If it's just about how it speaks to me, that's about my feelings. Well, then I don't need anybody else. I can just have my feelings. And we get the world that we live in right now. Lost. Drifting. Not sure where to put an anchor. God's word gives us that anchor. And Jesus says when you're called to that, understand it's bigger than you. Notice this. Hypocrisy takes over when we rely on our understanding more than the Spirit's enabling. Hypocrisy takes over when we rely on our understanding more than the Spirit's enabling. 
In other words, the Holy Spirit's power is worth more than my ability. But I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to talk about Jesus. So what? If you know him, that is enough to be able to talk about him. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind what you have put in to the, to the full extent of your need. So, when you know Christ, you have received the gospel, the very first day of your life as a believer, you may not have much of a Bible education. Of course, you probably don't. Most of us would not. Some of you received a lot of Bible education before you were converted, before you were reborn, and so then it just is ready to flow out of you. But for most of us, we don't have that knowledge. But when you get to a place when you realize, I'm a sinner and God's wrath is going to destroy me unless I come to Christ and God's love is extended to me, His grace is extended to me at the cross. And I want that. That's enough for me to be able to say to anybody else who is lost and wandering and needing to be saved, listen, I can't tell you everything, but I got a book. We can look it up. I got a church. We can find it out together. But listen to this, I was dead and now I'm alive. Jesus died to take my place. He never sinned, but he died for my sin so that I can stand before God as if I have no sin. Man, that's all that I need to get started. But how much more can the Holy Spirit do in us when we've already filled ourselves with God's word? That's why it's so important that we are always committed to being a Bible-teaching church. But for us to be a Bible-teaching church, you have to be committed to being a Bible-studying Christian. If you are not willing to put time into studying God's Word, to feasting on the love letter that He gave you, can you really call yourself a Christian? Do you really care about Christ? Again, using my wife as an example, we're separated for a long period of time, which actually happened to us early in our marriage. And I haven't spoken to her in so long. And I just, I love her so much. I want to know her. I want to communicate with her. And I get a letter in the mail. This is back when we actually wrote letters with stamps. Remember that? Snail mail. And I get a letter from her. And I see that letter. I'm like, that is so great that I got a letter from her. And I toss it on the bed and I walk away. And I don't read the letter. That says an awful lot about what's going on inside of me. As a Christ follower, my approach to the Word of God, if I want the Spirit to be able to empower me, to be able to do what He's going to do, then I need to approach it the same way I would have approached those letters from my wife. Are you kidding me? Whatever else is on my agenda waits until I rip this thing open and I start to just pour over it because I want to see her heart and on, on the words on this page. God has given us that in his book. Amen. But we've got Nick at night. We've got Netflix. We've got Facebook and Snapchat. <laughs> All the world in the palm of our hand and our little smartphones. Take a look at your screen time. If you're like most of us, 
you probably spend a lot more time on your social media apps than you do on your Bible app. Oh, I'm on it every day. Yeah, I'm on it for five minutes every day. I just spent 45 minutes on Facebook watching a bunch of silly cat videos. I like cat videos as much as the next guy. But there isn't any one of them that's keeping me out of hell. There isn't any one of them that's equipping me for the battle or giving me what I need for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to the people that I love who are going to hell and don't know Jesus and they need to and God wants to speak through me but I didn't read the letter. Guys, God wants to work through us. And if I'm more concerned about my ability you're concerned about your ability, then open the book. That'll help. But if I'm more concerned about my ability than I am about the Holy Spirit being able in me to do what He decides to do, then I've missed it. And I'm a hypocrite. I might be saved, but I'm still living in hypocrisy. If I am worried about the results, I, you know, I, I, I want to say something, but I'm just not sure how they're going to respond. It's not your job to make them respond. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to tell the truth. That's why we're called to witness. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in all the earth. A witness doesn't have to sell it. A witness just has to tell what they saw and heard. Let the Holy Spirit do His work in you. When that happens, it undermines and curtails the hypocrisy it's hypocritical for me to trust my ability more than the Spirit's empowerment. This is weighty stuff. And I wanted to just take these 12 verses by themselves before we get into the rest of this chapter. And we'll see through the rest of this chapter the same principle coming out that that earth's concerns negate heaven's priorities in us. But as we, uh, as we work through this, it matters because so often we face these temptations to keep our mouths shut, to be intimidated and overcome by the world. In a world that is more concerned about politics than about reality. More concerned about whether your state or your home is red or blue than whether it's covered by the blood of Christ. That's more concerned about whether you're going to offend somebody with your words than whether or not your words are true. In that world, you and I face this temptation every single day. And we become corrupted by this yeast of hypocrisy when we allow the concerns of this world to overwhelm, to trump the priorities of the real world and things that aren't ever going to last become more important and concrete in our eyes than the things that will last forever. There's a line from what I would say is probably my favorite Rich Mullins song. I want this song sung at my funeral. Although Rich died before me, so, you know, he's not going to be able to do it. There's, there's a song 
there's a, there's a line in the song that says, the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. Every day of my life, every day of your life, the stuff of earth is constantly competing for our time, our priority, so that we treasure those things that don't matter. They're not worth as much as the things that we ignore. Let's not let ourselves be hypocrites. Let's put our eyes on the things that last, the things that matter. Understand that to say I trust Jesus without boldly proclaiming the gospel is a lie. I cannot claim the eternal while fearing the temporal. If my focus is on people, if my focus is on man, I forfeit God. If my priorities are on earth, I forfeit heaven. I want to close by just drawing your attention to the memory verse that's printed for you from 2 Corinthians 4.18. I would encourage you to go and read. For the sake of time, I, I won't read the whole thing for you. But I would encourage you to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, around verse 10. I, I wrote down verse 10 in your program, but you start a little bit earlier than that. Through the end of chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4 in verse 18, we find our memory verse. Paul, dealing with these same concepts, not from the Pharisees, but in himself and in the church, says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we recognize what matters most, and we treasure most what is worth most, then no matter what comes against us, we will not be moved. Let's pray together. Father, um, I know that I can't adequately convey the power of the truth of your word. So I pray that in this, in this preaching moment, in this worship moment, that your spirit would speak far beyond the human ability to say or to understand what is happening. But Lord, your word stands eternal. And just as we saw in Israel, your works are worth proclaiming to the nations. And they may oppose it, but their opposition is negligible when compared to the reality of who you are. Father, protect us from the yeast of the Pharisees, that hypocrisy that creeps into us and takes over our being. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. We want to follow Jesus. Stayed upon Jehovah. Strong against all things. 
knowing that it's not our strength but yours. Father, help us to never be moved, but to be faithful and to be yours. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand, please.